Captain Hanson Gregory. I never met the man, but I certainly like his name, and I appreciate his accomplishments and his contribution to society. I've told some of you about him before, but do you remember? Let me tell you a little bit about Captain Hanson Gregory. At the age of 19, Hanson Gregory was in command of his own vessel. While he was still 19, he was decorated by Spain's Queen Isabella for saving the lives of an entire Spanish shipwrecked crew. But that's not why Hanson Gregory is remembered today. He's remembered today because he invented absolutely nothing. Confusing? Let's continue. Two decades after the death of Captain Hanson Gregory, a furious debate took place in New York. It was late November 1941, and the judges were Clifton Fadiman, Franklin P. Adams, and Elsa Maxwell. The leaders of the opposing sides were Fred Crockett of Camden, Maine, and Henry Ellis of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and the heated discussion revolved around whether or not Hanson Gregory had indeed invented nothing. Lawyer Ellis maintained that he had not. Lawyer Henry Ellis claimed that it was, in fact, an American Indian from Yarmouth, Maine, who invented nothing during the 17th century. But despite Mr. Ellis's splendid courtroom tactics, there were many inherent weaknesses in his case, among them the difficulty to prove anything three centuries past. On the other hand, Mr. Crockett, seeking to prove that Captain Hanson Gregory had invented nothing in 1847, presented for examination an array of affidavits, letters, and other documents. And in the course of the debate, the story of Hanson Gregory's life unfolded. He was born in Clam Cove, Maine, in a charming colonial home overlooking Penobscot Bay. As I already mentioned, at the age of 19, he assumed command of his own ship, making him one of the youngest sea captains ever to sail from the coast of Maine. And in that same year, he became an internationally acclaimed hero, as he was decorated by Queen Isabella for saving that shipwrecked Spanish crew. Yet it was not for his bravery on that occasion that Hanson Gregory was discussed in 1941. It was for an invention that comprised of nothing more than thin air. Debater Fred Crockett, attempting to ascertain the circumstances of this invention, acknowledged the blurring of much folklore with the truth. Hansen had not, as some said, invented nothing by accident during a storm at sea. He had invented it on purpose, as a boy of 15 in his mother's kitchen. Mr. Crockett's evidence was sufficiently persuasive enough to win a unanimous decision from the debate judges. And today, 65 years later, the Smithsonian Institute confirms that nothing was invented by Hanson Gregory, just the way that Fred Crockett said it was. It all started about 159 years ago when Hanson Gregory noticed that his mother's fried cakes were soggy at the center. The 15-year-old picked up his fork and poked it through the middle of one of the cakes and invented the something that will forevermore comprise of absolutely nothing, the hole in the donut. Now let me ask you, why would Hanson Gregory's mother make cakes that were soggy in the center? I don't think she did it on purpose. I think she fully intended for those cakes to be cooked completely. I think the cakes had soggy centers because for whatever reason they didn't get cooked through. Oh, they were placed in the oven, but perhaps they were too thick. Perhaps the ingredients were imbalanced. Perhaps the oven didn't distribute the heat correctly. Whatever the reason, it would appear that the circumstances prevented the cakes from turning out like the maker intended. So this morning, I want to talk about soggy centers. I want to talk about the soggy centers that people have in their relationship with Jesus Christ. What keeps people from maturing and attaining their full potential in their relationship with Him? Why are there inconsistencies in our Christian lives? What prevents us from turning out like our Maker intends? 
earlier in our worship celebration, we looked at a passage from the book of Hebrews. One verse in particular from that passage jumps out at me. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. So let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature. What is it that keeps people from going on to maturity? What holds you back from reaching your full potential in your relationship with God? Well, there could be several answers to that question, but I want to suggest to you just two reasons in particular which I believe keep people from going on to maturity and leaving them with soggy centers. And you can use the notes provided in your Sunrise Update to follow along and fill in the blanks, okay? Two hindrances to growth. The first hindrance is this, crisis mode living. Crisis mode living. This is when you're trying to keep all your plates spinning and all your balls in the air while your RPMs keep climbing higher and higher until your needle is pegged in the red and it just stays there. It's when your prayers are reduced to cries for help and your worship of God is reduced to cries of thanksgiving for getting you through just one more week. And let me tell you, this is a dangerous way to live because when this happens, you can start to rationalize a sin here and there, and you can begin to lose your intimacy with God. The busyness of your life impairs your relationship with Him. Now, you already know that this is a real danger. Just consider what crisis mode living can do to a marriage. Many marriages break down because one or the other or both of the people involved in the marriage live in crisis mode. It's usually the man who falls into this trap, so I'll use the man as the example. Plus, I'm a guy and it's just safer to pick on your own gender. But consider this. When you first get married, things are going great. You take time for your wife and the relationship is a priority. But over time, you start to get involved in more and more things, perhaps in the community or at church, and you dive into your work, and before you know it, you're spending late hours at work and neglecting your family. You're scrambling to meet deadlines, and as you do so, you lose intimacy with your wife and with your kids, and your relationships break down. You know what? The same thing can happen in your relationship with God. You can get so wrapped up in everything else that your relationship with Him suffers. And what's really scary is that this can happen even in the church. People can get so wrapped up in the busyness of the church, even doing good things, that they neglect the most important thing. Jesus warned us of this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. So basically, these people are saying, Jesus, look at all the good things we've done for you. And Jesus tells them, You have done some very good things, but all the good deeds you could ever do could never replace a relationship with me. Don't allow the busyness of life to keep you from maturing in Christ. Do you remember Mary and Martha in the New Testament? When Jesus came to visit, what did they do? Well, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and just listened to him, listened to him talk and speak into her life. Martha, on the other hand, was hard at work in the kitchen, trying to get the meal ready, and she, she became rather frustrated with Mary for not helping. And she stewed about that until she couldn't take it any longer, and she decided to do something about it. Here's the passage. It's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 39. It says, Her sister, Martha's sister Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. 
But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're so upset over all these details. There's really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. Mary understood what was truly important. She knew that what was truly important was found at the feet of Jesus. And so that's where she planted herself. Martha wasn't doing anything bad. I mean, they did invite Jesus for dinner. Shouldn't somebody cook it? She wasn't doing anything bad. In fact, what she was doing was very good. But she was missing out on the very best. Instead of investing herself solely in the meal, she should have invested herself in the Savior. David in the Old Testament understood this, and so he wrote in Psalm 39, verses 6 and 7, We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth for someone else to spend. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. So I think the key word here is balance. We need to balance the different elements of our lives so that we don't burn out and so that we can have time for the most important things. We can't allow the good to crowd out the best. So if you're living in crisis mode, then ask yourself these two questions. If you're living in crisis mode, ask, what put me here? Why did it happen? How were your priorities put out of whack? Why did you begin to neglect your relationship with Jesus? And the second question is, what radical change will be necessary to get out of crisis mode living? And it may take a radical change. You may need to cut out some good things in order to make time for the best things. Now, that doesn't mean cut out everything. There are good things you're involved in, and you should be involved in them. But if they're crowding Jesus out of your life, then those good things are no longer so good. Crisis mode living. It can stunt and even suffocate your relationship with Jesus. Another reason that people are kept from going on to maturity is kind of at the other end of the spectrum. It's laziness. Some people don't mature and they remain soggy in the center simply because they're not willing to put in the effort to grow. It's too hard, it's too much work, and so they're content to just stay like they are. But the problem is, even that will disappear. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament has a lot to say about laziness. A lot of warnings. Here's one from Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. It says, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one lacking sense. I saw that it was overgrown with thorns. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Let me ask you, what happens to the plants in a garden whose garden becomes overgrown with thorns and covered with weeds? The life is choked out of those plants. The same can happen to you and to me if we aren't willing to put the time and energy into tending the soil of our relationship with Jesus. All these other things will spring up and will choke the life out of that relationship. Proverbs has more to say. Check out these verses in in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 14 and 15. As a door turns back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Some people are so lazy that they won't lift a finger to feed themselves. And then in chapter 19, verse 15, a lazy person sleeps soundly and goes hungry. Then back in chapter 13, verse 4, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper and be satisfied. There's a quote that you can see in your notes from Theodore Roosevelt. He said, there has never yet been a person in our history who led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. 
Shara and I over the past several weeks have been watching one of those new shows, one of those summer shows on TV, America's Got Talent. Anyone else been watching that? Shara and I are suckers for any of those reality type of shows, especially the competition kinds of shows. Um, what have been some of your favorite talents that you've seen on this? Some of them have actually been pretty interesting, like Bobby Badfingers, you know, the finger snapper. I've never seen anyone snap their fingers that fast. I'm sure he must have practiced his way through hundreds of blisters. This past week, there was a girl who plays the glass harmonica. Only 13 people in the world can play that instrument, if I understood correctly. There was a magician on the show this week who talked about doing his first magic act when he was in grade four, and he talked about how bad it was. None of the tricks worked for him then. But now he's amazing. And all of these people, all of these people with talents, and I can pretty much guarantee you that everyone who makes the finals has put a lot of time and energy into improving their talent. They're amazing at what they do. Donald Kendall, the co-founder and former CEO of PepsiCo, put it this way. He said, the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. These people on America's Got Talent don't just have talent. They've put the work into developing those talents. To get better at anything takes effort. It's true with sports. It's true with your job. It's true with your marriage. It's true with your schooling. It's true with your talents. And it's true with your relationship with Jesus. Unfortunately, we live in a society where we want everything quickly. Email, cell phones, fast food, the internet. They've only increased our want-it-now attitude and have made it more difficult for us to do, devote ourselves to anything where we don't see instant results. Richard Foster wrote a, a, a book that's become a classic called A Celebration of Discipline. And he wrote in that book, Superficiality is the Curse of Our Age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. So if you're going to be deep, if you're going to be mature, if you're going to get rid of that soggy center and go on and become what your maker intended for you to be, it's going to take some time and effort. And there are practices or habits which you can instill into your life that can help you to grow. I'm going to list 12 of them, and we'll go through them fairly quickly. And if you want more information, a couple of books I'd recommend that you might want to take a look at is, first of all, that book I just mentioned, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, and another one's called With Unveiled Faces, Experiencing Intimacy with God Through Spiritual Disciplines, and that's by Keith Drury. But 12 Habits of Growth. The first one is this, Talk with God Regularly. I'm talking about prayer. You can talk with God, tell Him about your successes and your failures, share your concerns with Him, ask for His help, thank Him for all the ways He's blessed you, and give Him the praise that He deserves. Talk with God regularly. Second one is read God's Word. Pretty obvious. If you want to grow, you want to become more like Jesus, you want to go on to spiritual maturity, you need to read God's Word. Charles Tremendous Jones is a seminar speaker and an author, and he has said, you're the same today that you're going to be five years from now, except for two things, the people with whom you associate and the books you read. So taking what he said, let me say that if you want to grow spiritually, then you need to associate with God and you need to read his book. 
Some of you are already doing this and working your way through the entire Bible in 2006, the year of the Bible. If you're doing that, then you should be over halfway there now. So keep it up. If you've fallen behind, then don't give up. Keep going. And even if it takes you into 2007, keep going. Some of you may have never started, and now you want to start. Go ahead and do that. 15 or 20 minutes a day. If you're a really slow reader, 30 minutes a day. You'll finish sometime next summer. Or if you want to download a podcast or an MP3 you can listen to off your, uh, off your computer, you can go to BibleOnRadio.com. Read God's Word. The next one is study and meditate on God's Word. And this is more than just reading it. This is really diving in. Reading other books that help you understand certain passages. Maybe using a good study Bible with added notes at the bottom of the page. Checking out the cross-references if your Bible provides them. And dwelling on certain verses or passages and contemplating what they mean for your life. Study and meditate on God's Word. Next one is memorize key verses. The verse you want to memorize might come right out of your reading or out of your studying. Or you may use the one that's provided each week in your Sunrise Update. Everyone here could memorize one verse a week without too much difficulty. Next, practice fasting. Maybe once a week or once a month. Maybe one meal on that day or maybe for the entire day. This is basically reducing or eliminating your intake of food for a specific time for a specific purpose. And it should be accompanied with a more intense time of prayer. Maybe you have a major decision you need to make. And fasting could help you to sense God's guidance. Maybe you need God to unleash his power and perform a miracle. And fasting can demonstrate the depth of your desire. I don't claim to fully understand how or why fasting works, but it does. And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus expects his followers to fast, at least periodically. If you want more on fasting, then you can visit uh, this website. Visit www.billbright.com. BillBright.com Next, serve God by serving others. In other words, get involved in ministry. The next thing is worship in private and with others. It's important to be with your church family each week in this kind of a setting to join together in worshiping and praising our God. But your worship should not only be here on Sundays. You should worship privately as well. And it doesn't have to be music. Worship can be anything that expresses your heart of love to God. Next, silently wait on God. We spend a lot of time talking to God, so designate time to allow Him to talk to you. Just spend a half hour, a full hour, maybe a full afternoon in silence so you can hear His voice. Next, simplify your life. Reduce the clutter, limit the distractions, and decrease the stress because those very things are what can lead to that crisis mode living we talked about earlier. Simplify your life. Moving on, give to God and to others. Giving a percentage of your income to God is a form of worship. It honors God, and it reaffirms that God, not money, has first place in your life. It's also a step of obedience because he has asked us to give 10% of what we earn back to him. 
And giving generously to others shows his love to them too. And it helps form the heart of God in you. God is generous. And so to be godly, you need to be generous too. The next thing is this. Obey God's leading. Last week we talked about identifying God's leading in our lives. Well, when you know what God wants you to do, then do it. Obey God's leading. And the next habit, record your growth in a journal. Kind of like a spiritual diary. You can use a notebook. You can do it on a computer. You can buy a specialized journal from the Christian bookstore, which would include reflective thoughts and readings to go along with each day. But just write down someplace how you're growing. And in a year or so, go back and see how far you've come. Sometimes when you're growing and when you're maturing, you don't really notice it at the time. But when you look back and you have the benefit of time to, to, uh, to look back and you can see what has happened, you can be amazed at what God has done in your life. There, now that's quite a list. And you may feel a little overwhelmed by all that, but you don't have to. I'm not saying that you have to incorporate all these things all at once. Some of them, like talking with God, reading His Word, worshiping, giving, obeying, serving, those are the ones that you really you should try to work toward making a regular part of your life. The others, try them from time to time. Maybe one or two of them you're going to do regularly. Maybe the other ones you only do once in a while. That's fine. But I would encourage you to at least try them from time to time. And I think you'll be amazed at the growth that will occur and how God will work in your life.